Crossroads. That was definitely a crossroads, right? Even if you don't know what movie that is or what was going on, you know that there was a point of decision that was going to make his life different. Interestingly enough, my favorite part about that scene is that it ha- it's the last scene of the movie. And the music rises, in the, kind of indicating that, okay, now it goes on from here, but we're not going to tell you what happens. And we all come to those kind of places in our life. Crossroads, where we see this kind of sign. And most of the time, the signage is just as helpful. Sometimes they're, uh, they're big issues. They're going to be life-changing. Times of decision. But other times they're just uh, seemingly insignificant. It's a point of a choice. Do I go this direction or this direction? Do I say this? Do I say that? Do I have this attitude or this attitude? Do I give in to this temptation or not? Those crossroads. Now this is Palm Sunday and you may be saying, what in the world does this have to do with Palm Sunday? Well, I think it has everything to do with Palm Sunday because... What was taking place in Jerusalem that day was a crossroads. We all know this. If you grew up in church, you know the story. Jesus comes into Jerusalem. And even if you didn't grow up in church, you know this. Something with a donkey and palm fronds. Okay, so we got, that's the basic setup. Jesus is coming into Jerusalem and it's during festival time and so he rides into Jerusalem on a donkey and he's with, the, with his disciples and the people start waving these palm fronds, throwing their coats on the ground for Jesus to walk on. You see, they'd heard what had been going on. Jesus was not, not known. Everybody knew what had been going on. As a matter of fact, the religious leaders were so upset that they had started plotting against him on how to kill him. He had just days earlier raised Lazarus from the dead There was even a plot and a discussion about whether to kill Lazarus too. And so Jesus enters Jerusalem and all this plotting's going on and we know that this plotting actually played out and was successful. Jesus dying several days later. But there was something going on behind the scenes and in John chapter 12 we get the whole story of Palm Sunday, the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. There are a couple of verses right at the end of this passage that are very interesting. And my guess is that maybe you haven't noticed them because we kind of read through the story and go, that was nice. But in chapter 12 of John, verses 42 and 43, we see these words. Yet at the same time, many, even among the leaders, believed in Him. The religious leaders of the Jewish community believed in Jesus. But because of the Pharisees, they would not confess their faith for fear that they would be put out of the synagogue, for they loved the praise of men more than praise from God. These two verses tell the story of a crossroads for a group of men, a group of religious leaders who it says believed in Jesus, but because of fear, they would not confess their faith. Interestingly enough, that was a fear of other religious leaders. They were afraid that they would lose their place in the church. 
Now, some of you came in this morning and you definitely lost your place because you couldn't even find your chair in the right place, right? But because of the fear of what would happen in the religious group, they didn't declare their faith in Jesus. It says they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. They were more concerned of what men thought and what men would think about them than they were what God thought about them. They came to a crossroads. And unfortunately, these men made the wrong decision at their crossroads. We've all, as Christians, those of us who call ourselves Christ followers, we have all come to a crossroads and there was a first beginning crossroads at the cross. At the cross itself. Every believer has had to come to the cross. There is no relationship with Jesus apart from the cross. The cross itself creates a crossroad. It is the point in time. A turning point in history. Between life and death between right and wrong, between good and evil. It is a crossroad. It distinguishes that moment on that mountain. Distinguished time before and after. Colossians chapter 1, verses 19 and 20 says, For God was pleased to have all His fullness dwell in Him, in Jesus, and through Jesus to reconcile to Himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through His blood shed on the cross. It was a pivotal moment in time. And each of us as Christ followers have had to come to that cross and have our own pivotal moment in time where we chose to follow Jesus or not. We chose to give control of our life over to another or not. We chose to come and confess our sin or not. We chose to come and repent, literally to turn and head in another direction or not. We chose at that moment to give control of our life over to another or not. The control of our life to another, Jesus Christ, the peacemaker. It was a crossroads. Many of you have come to that cross and you've confessed and repented and given control of your life to Christ. Maybe today you're here and you haven't come to that cross. Or you've gotten to that cross, that crossroad, and turned away. But God calls you back and asks that you make that decision. We know, though, as Christians, that there are crossroads other than that. Following that moment, there are crossroads on this journey we call the Christian life. Because within us is a battle. A battle between two strong forces, the flesh and the spirit. The spirit, that deepest part, that most real part of who we are, it is that part that began a transformation when we gave our lives to Jesus in full surrender at the cross. And it is continually and continuously battling that part of us that is fleshy or earthly, the Bible says. The part that does not seek holiness, but happiness. The part that does not seek Christ, but self. We know this because as believers, as followers of Christ, I, I believe we all want to obey. We want to have transformed lives. But we see within us a struggle. 
Am I off base here? Anybody else? We see within us a struggle. We try. We work hard. We pray. We read our Bible. We put ourselves around the right people. We join a small group. We have a spiritual partner. And we try. And But there are still failures. Maybe not as many, but we still feel failure and we're often discouraged and defeated. And what happens is that constant failure keeps us from moving forward. It's a a tactic of the enemy to do that. He gets us to say, this is just too hard. It's just way too hard. I'm not going to get this right. I will never be the kind of Christian I'm supposed to be. And we go through our Christian life like this, trying really, we try really, really hard at it, don't we? I mean, we work really hard and we just kind of strain. And that's what happens, doesn't it? We kind of, we, we work so hard at it that we bust something. I'm never going to be the kind of Christian I'm supposed to be. And here's the reality. That is true. We will never be able to do this. Because it's not something we do. It is something that is done in us. That changes us. That gives us new power and new desires. It is a battle of the flesh versus the spirit. Hebrews 2.12.2 says, Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Notice who the perfecter of our faith is. It is Jesus, not you. The perfecter, the completer, the one who is working at it. See, we need to focus on growth, not perfection. Because it, when you focus on perfection, what's going to happen is you're going to get discouraged and the enemy will tell you, it's not, you're not, it's not working. Well, of course it's not working because it's not your job. Jesus is the perfecter. We are the growers. You see, the reality is there are parts... There are three parts to this thing we call salvation or in the church we use the word saved. When we come to the cross and we confess and we repent and we give control over to another. There are three parts to that. We have been saved. We have come to the cross. The, the big theological term for that is justification. We've had a work done in us at a moment in time that has changed us and filled us with the Spirit of God. We have been saved. But the reality is that we are being saved. Big word, sanctification. We are being saved. Along the way, we are being changed. We are being perfected. And then one day, we will be saved. Glorification. Most of us are waiting for that, right? But along the way, we are being saved. We are... Growing. And Christ is perfecting us. He is changing us. He is working within us. Those of you who have struggled in your life with addictions know exactly what I'm talking about because we, you know that it isn't one point in time. 
Oh, well, I just decided. Not that easy, is it? You see, you are... You have been freed through the power of Christ, but you are being freed. And one day, it'll finally be over. The struggle will finally be over. You know, I find it interesting that when we consider what God's doing in our life, when we look at this point, when it relates to the cross, we say that we trust God with our, the eternal destiny of our soul. But we struggle with trusting Him with our daily lives and following Him completely. What's up with that? So today I hope that we can encourage you to trust Him completely at the crossroads of your life. At the big crossroads, the little ones, the ones you've never taken time to even notice. I I hope that today you leave inspired to live in a way that I know you've always wanted to live. And to be who you've always wanted to be. So we're going to look at two verses this morning. And as we break them down, I hope that it will help each of us do just that. We're going to look at Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. These two simple verses say, Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Let's break this down in some of these key phrases. The first is God's mercy. This is what we talked about just a moment ago. Christ's sacrifice on the cross, where He made peace with us. Our focus must be be on His mercy, not fill in the blank. Not anything else. In view of God's mercy. Not in view of our stuff. Not in view of your thing. Not in view of whatever. In view of God's mercy. Nothing else can be our focus except God's mercy. You know what the object of mercy is by definition? Misery. You see, God saw our misery. He saw, that without, he saw us without Him. And He offered an open door to Himself. That's God's mercy. God's mercy stepped in to our misery and gave us life. In view of God's mercy, what's the next phrase? Take your bodies. Offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Literally, this idea of your bodies means our lives, who we are physically and emotionally and mentally and spiritually. We are to submit them, put them under the authority of another. Now, this does not mean get a bunch of individual actions right. Follow a set of rules. Does it say that? No, it says offer your bodies as living sacrifices, not follow a set of rules. It means our life. Every aspect of who we are is given to the control of Jesus. Now let's think about this idea of sacrifice for a minute. A sacrifice has no control over itself, does it? A sacrifice isn't in charge. Now think about this in Scripture. In the Old Testament, they sacrificed lambs. Now, 
The word lamb is essential to understand because it doesn't say old nasty goats or old nasty sheep. Lambs, pure and spotless, that they would offer to cover sin. Now you say, where do these lambs come from? Well, they were raised in the homes of the people. And so they became essentially household pets. I bet the children would name it. They'd name the lambs. So Fluffy is becoming kind of a member of the family. Maybe sleeps on the foot of the children's beds. Gains a trust with its masters, right? And then one day, dad comes in and picks that lamb up. And the children realize what's going to happen. And that lamb trusts so completely in its master that he allows that master to gather him up in his arms and take him to the altar and bind his feet together and sacrifice him. See, that lamb has complete trust in his master. That lamb is a living sacrifice. He didn't fight it. We see the picture again with Abraham and Isaac. These two men go to the mountain to worship. Isaac inquires of his aging father, where's the sacrifice? And his father informs him that he is the sacrifice. Nowhere in Scripture do we find that Isaac argued with his father. That Isaac tried to to get out of the situation. We don't find Isaac questioning God, saying, uh, God, uh, Alzheimer's, something has set in. Something's going on here. We don't see it, do we? Isaac had gained full trust in his father and put himself as a living sacrifice into his father's hands. You see, offering our bodies as a living sacrifice isn't about being dead. It isn't about getting to the place where just nothing affects us. We don't battle the flesh anymore. We, we, we live, but yet we trust God. And we give Him control. We offer our bodies as living sacrifices We're told here that it is our spiritual act of worship. The aim of all of life is worship. We are to use our bodies, our whole lives, to display the worth of God and all that He is. Now, there are all kinds of worship, but we could condense all of it into two categories. God worship and self-worship. That's what it narrows down to. We either worship God, the one who is worthy, or we worship self. So this is the innate challenge of every Christian, to worship the God who is worthy of our worship. Our focus, our attention is to be given to Him rather than the focus and attention being on ourselves. So I'd ask you this question. How's it going? This battle of the flesh and the Spirit. Are we focused on God worship or self-worship? Are we making these choices at the crossroads? For God or for us? It says next, do not conform. Do not conform to the world. Do not conform to the world. Well, what, what, how do we know if we're conforming to the world or not? Well, I think there's an answer in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. It says this, I urge you to live a life 
worthy of the calling you have received. Now, what is this calling? Well, that's that calling to holiness at the cross. That calling to repentance of turning and moving in another direction. That calling is a son or a daughter of Christ. That's our calling to follow Jesus. Now, the word worthy here, live a life worthy. The Greek word here is axios. It's the word we get our word axiom from. Now, if you're a mathematician, you know what an axiom is. This is it's a mathematical term. It's about an equation. And the key element in an axiom in math is the equal sign. And what you have to do, and I know I'm taking some of you back to times in your life that you really wish you could forget, right? Math class. The important thing is you get one half of an equation with an equal sign. And you have to make the other side of the equal sign do what? Equal this side. Both sides of the equation have to equal out. Paul is saying here, I urge you to live a life as an axiom, axios, of the calling you've received. In other words, the, the goal of growing is to be like Jesus. It needs to equal. Now, the way we're not talking about this balance of good and bad. We're talking about this effort of our life looking like Jesus. That's worthy, that's axios of our calling. You see, it comes down to this to get the, to, to see this. It, you have to travel, we're traveling on a journey. And we have to focus on the journey rather than the destination. But we get stuck on the destination. You see, we say, I want what I want when I want it. And, and I, I want to be a good Christian, so I want it now. And what we want is we want McDonald's-style Christianity where we pull up to the window and we order our Happy Meal. And if we get down the road and our toy isn't in our Happy Meal, we get really upset. And so we go through our Christian life trying to lead it like this. That's how we do it. And we want when we, what we want when we want it. Hey, I worked hard, God. Therefore, I ought to get what I want. That's what I ordered at the spiritual window. That's what I ought to get. But it doesn't work that way. We've, we're focusing on the destination and, and God's saying, no, this is a journey. What matters most to God is not how fast something gets done, but whether or not we are learning to love and trust Christ supremely. You see, we become useless as Christ-exalting Christians if, we, if all we do is conform to the world around us. If we just look like the world. What's happened in the church today is that as the world moves this direction, we just kind of follow and we figure if we stay just far enough behind them, we're okay. What kind of an impact could the church have had if as the world moved, we stayed? Do not conform to the world. Pastor Steve challenged us a couple weeks ago with the word Christian, which means little Christs. Question for us today, are we conforming? Are we little Christs or are we little worlds? The next phrase says that we're to be transformed. We are to be being perfected. The verb tense in the Greek here is we are being transformed. We are being perfected. Another way to explain that this isn't an, a one-time thing. We are being saved. We are being transformed. Not just our external behavior, but the way that we feel and think. Our minds. 
This word, transformed, is used only one time in all four of the Gospels. And it takes place when it's used when Jesus is on the mountain of transfiguration and is transformed, is metamorphosed. Paul is saying here, be transformed, be changed, be metamorphosed, become something new. Not just external in nature. You see, nonconformity to the world does not primarily mean the external avoidance of worldly behaviors. It's not just a matter of, you know, well, I don't do a bunch of stuff. That's included. But you can avoid all kinds of worldly behaviors and not be transformed. I know a lot of people who avoid an awful lot of stuff and they're not transformed. They're not like Christ. Transformation is not switching from the to-do list of the flesh to the to-do list of the law. You see, the list or the works of the flesh are to be replaced by the fruit of the Spirit. In other words, God is saying to us, take the stuff you used to try to do and let the Spirit work in you. Don't just come up with a new list. Now, should we plan and should we have goals? Certainly. But it isn't about that. It's about taking these things and allowing the Spirit of God to work in us. The Christian alternative to immoral behaviors isn't a list of moral behaviors. It's the transformational power of the Holy Spirit in changing us. You need to live in that reality today. You need to live in an understanding that it isn't about sin management. It's about the constant pursuit of God. Erwin McManus gives this picture. He talks about the fact that the Christian life is as though we own a field. And there are lots of rocks in that field. And our Christian life is spent moving the rocks off the field. One by one. And then when we get all the rocks off the field, we're spiritual. The problem is that we've never enjoyed the field. And then all we end up with is a big empty field. How many of us have worked hard? We're trying to get all the stuff out of our life, but we've forgotten along the way that, wait, the Holy Spirit was supposed to be working within us. This was... There was supposed to be joy being produced here. I was supposed to be enjoying the field, not just moving the doggone rocks off the field. 2 Corinthians 3.6 says, He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter, this list, kills, but the Spirit gives life. You see, it's about living the Christian life. It's about being a living sacrifice. Let me just remind you of a couple things. Transformation, we talk a lot of it, about it around here, is a profound, blood-bought, spirit-wrought change from the inside out. Let me remind you, too, that you are the recipient of God's mercy. You are the recipient of God's mercy. You are being transformed by God. The God of the universe is using His transforming power in your life. So we're to be transformed. How? By the renewing of our mind. 
by the renewing of our mind. Philippians 4.8 says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. We are to renew our mind. Well, why does our mind be, need renewing? Now, this might be the duh section of the message. See, the problem with the human mind is not that it doesn't have enough knowledge. The problem is not simply that we are finite and don't have all the information. It's not about just more stuff up here. The problem is that our minds are fallen. They have a bent, a mindset, if you will, that is hostile to the absolute supremacy of God. Our minds are bent on not seeing God as infinitely more worthy of praise than we are, or even more worthy of praise than the things we make or achieve. We know this is true because we tend to focus on us and our stuff and the things we did and the things we're accomplishing, rather on the supreme worthiness of God. We also know it's true about ourselves because of how little effort we expend to know Him. And because of how much effort it takes to make our minds spend any time getting to know God better. If I had a dollar for every person who in 24 years as part of New Life has said to me, I'm doing okay except for my spiritual walk, for my relationship with God, for my quiet time. We know this is true of us, that our minds just get us to the place where we, we expend very little effort getting to know God. Paul addresses this struggle with the phrase in Ephesians 4. He calls it the desires of deceit. They are life-ruining, worship-destroying desires, and they get their life and their power from the deceit of our minds. But, Christian, there is a renewal of the mind that transforms us as it liberates us from the deceit and the power of fleshly passions. So what do we do? We have this messed up mind that tends to get us going down the wrong road, making the wrong choice at these crossroads. What's the remedy? Well, first of all, the passage does not say you will be renewed. It says rather the transformation is the promise given for the renewing of the mind. The very word renewal, which says renewing your mind, is used only two times in the Bible. And both times it refers to a work done only by the Holy Spirit in us. We're back to where we started. We are not the renewers. We are not the perfecters. We are the growers. We are the ones who the renewing is happening in, not the ones that are producing renewal. You see the difference? You see where we can really get off track? The Spirit renews the mind. It is first and decisively His work, and we are radically dependent upon Him for that work. Our efforts come because of the enabling that the Holy Spirit gives us. So our focus must become twofold. We must pursue Christ-exalting truth. And we must pray for truth-embracing humility to follow God's will, which is the next phrase. God's will. This is all ultimately about God's will. The renewing of our mind. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind 
so that you may know God's will. Two words Paul could have chosen here. The first word for God's will is the sovereign will of God. That, that come, It's going to come to pass without fail. Now, interestingly enough, this can include even allowing things that he hates. An example would be in Matthew 26 when Jesus himself in the garden says, Father, if it's possible, let this cup be taken from me. In other words, if we can get out of this death thing, I'm good with that. But, yet not as I will, but as you will. God's will, His sovereign will was for Christ to die. Now, don't you find that interesting? That the will of God included Christ's death, included the sins of Pilate, the sins of Herod, the sins of the soldiers, the Gentiles, the religious community of the Jewish nation. But this was God's plan and there was no changing it. God's sovereign will. God did not make these things take place, but His sovereignty allowed them to happen in order to achieve His sovereign will. Make sense? Now that you understand that, that's not the word Paul chose. Not this, it's going to happen anyway. Paul chose a word that indicated the will of command. The will of command. What God commands us to do. And this will of God often does not come to pass because we fail to do it. See the difference? 1 Thessalonians 4, for example. This is the will of God. Okay, spiritual antenna up. This is the will of God. Your sanctification that you abstain from sexual immorality. Okay, that's a very specific incident of God's command to us. Holiness, sanctification, spiritual purity. This is His will of command. But oh, so many do not obey. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 Give thanks in all circumstances for this is what? The will of God in Christ Jesus for you. We want to be thankful, but do we always succeed at it? We, we want to be thankful in every circumstance. This is the will of God. It is, it is His command. Be thankful in every circumstance, but we don't always do that. See the difference in the two? So we get to a place where the motives and affections of our hearts are revealed in decisions. And those decisions require discernment, whether they're simple and spontaneous or difficult and deliberate. The will of God and decisions can only be discerned by a renewed mind. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may know the will of God. In order to get to here, you have to be here. We have to be being transformed by the renewing of our mind, getting truth in us so that we can know the will of God. If you struggle at a crossroad, guess why? Because you're still being renewed. You're still being transformed. Or you've chosen not to be. The motives and affections of our hearts are revealed in decisions that require this discernment. But it can still be difficult, can it? See, because a renewed mind doesn't always instantly know what God's will is. God sometimes allows us to wrestle and wait for clarity. See, the Christian life is defined when God is silent sometimes and whether we're patient, whether we continue to listen knowing that He is renewing, transforming us. Ultimately, all of us make decisions 
based on what we really love. Years ago, someone said to me, we do what we want to do. Ultimately, these crossroads will come down to what we really love. If deep down we love the world, this will become apparent in the pattern of decisions that we make. And we'll look mainly like the world. But if we really love Jesus, we will increasingly love what He loves. That is the transformation of a renewed mind. It becomes a pattern of decisions in our lives. The pattern of our lives become what God wants and what God loves. We don't focus on one wrong move because those will happen along the way. But we focus on a regular state of obedience. See, ultimately this passage tells us that it's living with the goal of the Father's smile. Look at these last few verses. We'll look into the Father's eyes and see good and see Him pleased. As He looks at us and sees us being perfected in His Spirit. Let me remind you of this important fact. What the enemy will try to do with this message to you today is take it and convince you that this is all about, you'll get right back to the same pattern and you'll go out and you'll create your list. Here are the things I'm going to do. And then you'll get discouraged and feel condemned. But let me remind you that Romans chapter 8, verse 1 says, there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, as we finish up, I want to give you something really practical. You come to this crossroad, this point. I'm going to go this way, this way. Say this, say that. Think this, think this. Give in to this temptation or not. Three questions you can ask yourself at those crossroads. One, what is truth? What is truth? And you say, that means I have to stop and think about it. Yes. Always a wise thing. Stop and think about it. What is truth? Second question, who am I? Is this who I am? If I go this direction, is that who I am in Christ? Is this His truth? What is truth and who, who am I? Third question, where is real life for me? Which of these paths, if I'm standing at that crossroad, which path is real life for me? What is truth? Who am I? Where is real life for me? And along with those three questions comes three commitments to make at every crossroad. The first commitment, I will live in the truth. I will live in the truth. Here's the best way to know it. I will live in the truth. Second commitment, I will live in the reality of who I am in Jesus. I am a son or daughter of God because on the cross, at that crossroad, Jesus gave me His mercy and He made peace with me. That's who I am. I am an individual who can live in the Spirit because the Spirit is transforming me from the inside out and I'm the grower. That's who I am. And third question, life for me is living in the Spirit. 
I will live in the truth. I will live in the reality of who I am in Christ. And life for me is living in the Spirit. C.S. Lewis said this, Why do we settle for playing in the mud puddle when we could have a day at the beach? Church, when we're at these crossroads, let's remember what truth is. Let's remember who we are. And let's know where life is. Let's pray. Father, may we know what it means to truly live. God, may we not be people who work so hard at our Christian life that it really isn't one. That it isn't a relationship with You. God, may we know truth and live in it. May we know who we are and live in the reality of that. May we know where life really is for us, and that is life in You. God, use Your Word today to to change us. God, help us to not just be stirred, but changed. God, may as we step into the world, we take Your Spirit within us and allow Him to work in us so that we can impact the world rather than the other way around. Father, today we present our bodies as living sacrifices to You. We trust our Master. We commit ourselves to renewing our mind so that we can be transformed and be able to know Your good and perfect and acceptable will. We thank You that You've given us Your Spirit to battle this flesh in Christ's name. Amen. Stand and worship together.